0: that was ever crucified, but we understand the great significance of that he was the one who chose to be, that God, uh, before eternity, has chosen for these things to be. Um, This morning, we're going to continue here our study in the book of Philippians, and uh, we're we're getting, we just last week went over something that is incredibly uh, easy to consider in light of what it is that was just um, given to us in song of rejoicing in the Lord, to rejoice in the Lord. Uh, we looked at that, and we also uh, quickly saw that he says, "Rejoice in the Lord always." This means we are to always be rejoicing. And remember, as that kind of th- that happens, and as we consider. What does always mean? Or when we say in everything here as we're going to a little bit this morning, uh, we always tend to ask ourselves, we can kind of get caught asking questions. Well, what about this? Or, well, you're going to have to convince me how I can rejoice in light of what is currently going on in my life or in light of this going on in the world. We went back to verse 4 again, Philippians chapter 4. We're in verses 4 and just barely touched into verse 6. But sing, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, Rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men, the Lord is at hand. Letting these things be known unto all men, and the Lord being at hand, was not a timeline or some sense of He is going to return quickly. And we said, Yes, He is going to return soon, because any time you're considering eternity, any time that it happens, it's happening pretty soon. The Lord is here. He is present. He communes with his people. As we gather together, he is always with the believer through the Spirit. And we understand this, this beautiful truth that we are never actually alone. How many songs do we sing about or have you heard? You turn on the radio. How many songs do you hear about God always being with us or this understanding that you are not alone? I know that's a Michael Jackson song as well. But that's not really where we're trying to go here. There's like five of you that publicly acknowledge that, but I know all of you know Michael Jackson songs. okay? And if you don't, that's just concerning. But here we looked at these different things, and then we walked into verse 6, closed with the understanding here in the first part of the verse, be careful for nothing. And this is where we're going to start this morning as we walk through verses 6, and we might touch into verse 7, but we're going to be camped out in verse 6 here for quite a little bit. Here in verse 6 of Philippians chapter 4, Paul writes to them, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we thank you and we praise you this morning for the truth of your word. We praise you that we have these holy scriptures so readily accessible to so many of us, whether it be within our Bibles or simply the access that so many of us have between iPads and phones and other devices. Just The the ease with which we can access your word, whether at home or away, Lord, we praise you for just this incredible access that we have in this time. Lord, I pray that as we walk simply through here in verse 6 and we see very, very simple, very familiar, very basic concepts, I do pray that it would be something that we were careful to pause and to reflect on and to apply to the way in which we live, that we would truly understand who you are based upon who you've revealed yourself to be in your word. God, we thank you for all that you've done, and we ask that you continue to guide us in our worship, and it's in Jesus' name, amen. Paul opens up with very familiar words of being careful for nothing or be anxious for nothing. This passage harkens back to where we were perhaps two months ago and we walked through complaining. We talked about complaining and said the Bible is very, very clear. Paul is very, very clear. Do not complain. Do not complain. Here Paul is very, very clear in a very similar fashion. Do not be anxious. We're going to do a show of hands. Baptists, we're going to improve ourselves here. How many of us have ever been anxious at some point in our life? Okay. We all get anxious, some much more than others, but we tend to be anxious in a lot of different times in our life. It's usually before something big, but for some of us, We almost are perpetually anxious. We wake up and we're anxious. We get out on the road, we're anxious. Work, school, whatever the case is, anxiety is something that follows us everywhere. And it seems to be something that is growing, especially those in my generation and those that are currently middle school, high school age. Lots of conversation goes around the school and within youth group and all these different places about anxiety. Every kid nowadays is anxious. Every kid almost, it seems like, has high levels of anxiety now. We could argue and go back and forth about why that is, but it is something that so many people deal with day to day. This idea of being perpetually anxious, especially as something big is going to come up into our lives. We get anxious and we have concern Considering all that Paul has addressed to this point, and if you've been with us through the study, we've seen plenty of different things. Uh, The Philippian church had plenty of reason to be a little bit anxious. Uh, He's talked about confronting false teaching and these things that are going on. He's walked through so many things, which we're not going to go through now. But also keep in mind, Paul, the one who is in chains as he's writing this, is the one saying, don't be anxious about these things. Have no anxiety. Be anxious. Be careful for nothing as he is currently himself in chains. So it's not as if the Philippians could come back and say, Well, Paul, it's easy to say don't be anxious as you're sitting up there in the ivory tower. Everything is perfect. Everything is great. Of course you don't have anxiety because you know everything is taken care of. This was a man who was arrested pretty much every city he tried to go to. Consider the way you travel just even in the past six months, how many different cities, perhaps, you've had to travel to. Some of you live in a city outside of Glenwood Springs, and every Sunday or every day or every two days, you are traveling to a different city. Now imagine being mocked, possibly beaten, but definitely, absolutely getting arrested every time you went from Glenwood to Newcastle. I mean, just imagine what kind of anxiety that would bring about to a person to ever travel outside of the city limits knowing I'm probably going to get arrested today. I think we would probably stay home a little bit more. Paul had great reason to be anxious because of that. He was beaten in many uh, different ways. For him, the question wasn't, am I going to be beaten today? It was, is it going to be the rod or a whip? This is the life of the man who was writing, be careful for nothing. I want us to turn to Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, and we're going to see the very words here that Jesus is offering. And as I say that, I want to always offer the reminder that any word of Scripture is the word of our Lord. It is not as if uh, the red letters have a special significance. Um, As We understand uh, the Spirit is the author of Scripture. God Himself is the author of Scripture. We understand all of the words of Jesus. But here we see this conversation in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Jesus himself here is teaching to the people and he is discussing worry. He says, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put it on. Is not the life more than meat and the body? than raiment? Behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is evil thereof. This is a powerful teaching all unto itself. Is Maddie singing the song, Take No Thought for Tomorrow? Yeah, of course she is. These are absolutely massive truths with great implications for our life. He walks through, what about the birds of the air? Are they wandering around, looking around, going, how am I going to get food? Are they toiling and working for all of these things? No, they're taken care of. And even there, he says, how much more, he says, are you not much better than they? And then in verse 27, which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? We all universally um, accepted that we are. We have been anxious at some point in our lives. We've had anxiety over a particular situation. How often has that truly helped our situation? Of sitting quietly and calmly, being anxious, shaking, and just saying, "I need." Well, we all need one more cup of coffee. That's also true. But how often has that truly helped any of us to sit, clothed in anxiety, worried about what is going to be taking place? This very minute, some of you can walk through the list of things for the day, things that are going to happen this afternoon, this evening, or tomorrow, and it can produce anxiety and concern of even now thinking about what am I going to do? How am I going to handle this? How is this going to be fixed? I mentioned tax day tomorrow. That causes a great deal of anxiety for many, many people. My dad was an accountant for about 30 years. He is very thankful he is no longer doing that. Uh, he hears stories of tax season and just kind of smirks at people. Uh, he's very pleased to not be up until 2, 2.30 in the morning doing other people's taxes. He's very happy about it. He said it would kill him. He has no anxiety about this anymore and how freeing it is not to be perpetually anxious about these things. But notice that Jesus gives concerns as well as giving those solutions saying why do you cons- why do you take thought for all of these things consider the lilies of the field how they grow but yet they do not toil down in verse 31 therefore take no thought saying what are we, what shall we eat or what shall we drink but what is the solution notice in verse 33 it says but seek ye first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all of these things shall be added unto you we are so desiring Practical steps of five steps to make this thing happen. Here's what I want. Give me three to five steps so I can go out and make it happen. And yet we look at this command, this this exhortation, to seek ye first the kingdom of God, and these things will be added, and saying, but that's not enough. I need something else to do. How many of you have checklists on your fridge and have ever written, seek first the kingdom of God? You can put that on there, but when do you check it off, right? It's not really a thing that we truly get to just check off so we feel like we're not doing things. I've mentioned it before about prayer, how Christians can gather together for a prayer meeting, simply sit in a room, spend an hour in prayer, fellowship, and then they can go. It is not as if nothing was done or nothing was accomplished there. Prayer meeting, simply prayer, is an incredibly powerful thing for churches to be engaged in. He gives these concerns as well as giving these solutions, and again, Jesus specifically addressing, take no thought for tomorrow, don't worry about those things, they will take care of themselves, do not be anxious. If he is taking care of the birds and the lilies of the valley, don't you think he will meet those needs of his people? At its root level, at the most foundational basic level, sinful anxiety is a failure to believe the sovereignty and love of God in a practical way. When we are anxious over everything that might come, when we are anxious about how is this going to get done, how are we going to handle this situation, how am I going to get from here to there, where am I going to live, where am I going to work, and we get anxious, we are absolutely failing to believe that God is in control. And what a dangerous place that is to believe that God is not in control and how hopeless and how great of despair that would be to truly think i don't know what's going to happen and God doesn't either you look around the world and we see so many people that are lost and without hope this idea that is so oftenly taught is that you come from uh, what is it now stardust like it changes a lot. But fish to philosopher idea of all this evolution, or you just happen by accident, we're just goo that grows and has thoughts, and every one of you that have any thoughts is just naturally fizzing particles in your brain. You're not actually having thoughts, it's just random acts fizzing within your mind. Um, how hopeless that truly is. And, and what kind of despair that brings to the heart of a person to think so uh, there wasn't any creation, it just kind of happened. My thoughts aren't actually my thoughts, it's just particles and different things firing and random things coming into my mind. There's no value, there's no hope of anything because I'm just kind of here. Nothing is in control, so why then, in a world where you would believe you don't have control, why would you want to have children? Why would you care about anyone outside of yourself? Why would you do anything except consume and enjoy? Because if this is all that there is, there is no meaning to life, then why don't I just do what's best for me? And this is a very popular current mindset in so many people is this idea that we are essentially at the top of all things, that humanity is the greatest thing ever, even though we've already attested to, we're just random, right? So follow this logic here. You were randomly just, you just happened to be created, but not really created, you just appeared. Uh, Your brain isn't really something that forms thoughts, it's just random things, but yet we are the absolute pinnacle of things, and we believe that we ourselves are essentially gods. It's a humanist mindset where everything is for me, where I am the the determiner of whether something is good or evil, or whether something is true or false. And what happens is you always follow out humanism. Whenever you trace it throughout history, anything that begins as humanist eventually turns anti-human because we're sinful. Because we're evil. Because, yeah, I might be the best thing, but I am, as a human, not you. And I want to win. I want to have more. I want to consume. I want to dominate, which means I have to take it from somebody else. This is always how this progresses throughout all of history. But at its root level, this anxiety is a failure to believe that God is in control. And so quite simply, back in in Philippians, Paul is going to give some answer and some response to this. Be anxious for nothing, and very quick, do not be anxious. Do not be worried, do not be concerned. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So rather than be anxious, okay, pastor, you've said don't be anxious, don't be worried about these things, take that away, great. Well, now I have a void. There's a hole there. I have to have something. If you're taking something away, you've got to put something back in there. So what does Paul say? Rather than that, let your requests be made known to God. Flip over to Romans chapter 8. Verses 26-27. through 27. Paul writes, Likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. God is not unaware of those things that we have as requests. He is not sitting in heaven looking down at his people and saying, I really want them to make the request known to me because I don't know what they want. We, how many of you guys struggle with secrets? Secrets. You don't like people keeping secrets, even for a surprise. How about this? Secrets is a little sensitive, so let's say surprises. How many of you, show of hands, okay, we're going to try it again, do not like surprises? I'm not a big fan of them, also because I have terrible reactions to them. So it's awful for the person surprising me. I'm like, yeah. But that's my genuine reaction. I am happy. I am excited. I just don't know how to show it all the time. We don't always like surprises. Well, God is not ever surprised. He is not shocked when when a prayer is offered up and says, Oh my goodness, I am so happy that you made that request known to me. I had no idea. It's like when when you're talking to one of your kids and you're trying to figure out why they seem sad or what they need because you've been watching them all day, they're not quite themselves and you're asking, What is wrong? Please let me know how I can help you. And the kid just won't say anything. They won't tell you anything. That is so frustrating, is it not? Because you want them to share. You want to help. God is not unaware of our requests, big or small. Simply seek the Lord in prayer. We have this encouragement to make these things known to God, but often they become known to one another, and that often uh, comes in the form of complaining. Where rather than going to God in prayer because of our anxiety, we talk amongst one another, and it can take the tone of complaining. I just don't have enough help. You know, it's ridiculous. Nobody wants to do anything. I have to do everything by myself. This isn't fair. It's all this. And we go on and on and on and complaining, as opposed to, you know what? I'm anxious about getting this done because I'm alone. Let me take it to the Lord in prayer and ask that he would bring along somebody to come alongside, and we can work on these things together. Now, which option would you prefer? But our default tends to be, and again, that's why Paul addressed it, we can tend to drift into complaining far too often, particularly with one another, because complaining by ourselves is not always enough. We want someone else to know that we've been wronged. we remember as we read through these things that God himself is the author of Scripture, that though Paul is writing this letter, it is under the superintending of the Holy Spirit as he is writing these things. We understand God is the author of Scripture. So as Paul writes this, understand this is God himself offering this invitation. God himself saying, make your requests known to me. Come to me in prayer. Seek after me prayerfully in these things. What does that show you about the character of God, that he desires to hear from his people, that he desires we make our requests known to him? He desires to listen and to hear, and it is not so that he can know how to respond or so that he can know how we're doing. How, how routinely prayer is such an important part for us to engage in for our benefit. Continuing to move quickly, he not only encourages requests being made known unto God, but but in everything by prayer and supplication. The effect here, this emphasis is on both prayer and supplication, prayer being general, supplication being more specific, an urgent need. An urgent need comes along our, our table, and we quickly go to the Lord in prayer with great urgency. But notice how we are to go to him with our prayer and our supplication, something that is often passed over, two simple words, with thanksgiving. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. We could go all the way down the list of different passages that talk about giving thanks to God in all things, and all things being uh, showing this gratitude and doing all things with great amount of thanks. This thankfulness and this gratitude is rooted in the nature and character of our gracious, faithful, merciful, wise God. Are you thankful for what God has done? Are you thankful for who He is? Because there's no point in celebrating a Palm Sunday and even considering any of these songs if there's no thankfulness attached to why He came, how He came, who He was that came to do what He did. Because detached from thankfulness, there's no point in any celebration of these things. But we pray to our Heavenly Father with thanks knowing that he will answer our prayers according to our good and his glory. This is why you can pray confidently. So if I'm not praying so that God can know what I request, why is it such a changing experience for me? What does it do for me? Why then am I to go to him? He's not lacking in information. But we go to him in prayer. We make our request known to him with thanksgiving, with gratitude, knowing that we will get the perfect answer the perfect one that is most glorifying and honoring to him. And as we see in Romans 8, which is ultimately for our good as well. Now, does that mean we go praying for these things that we just desire and we're going to absolutely get a yes because we want it? No. You guys are familiar by now in your own life that every time you pray, it does not mean he will say yes. Lord, please help me get this job where I want it to be. He could say yes. He could say no. I don't get to decide what God's going to say. But we know that His answer is certain and it is sure according to that which is going to be most pleasing and glorifying to Him. So when we pray, we know the decision, the answer is perfect. How many of us have not received a yes on a prayer, and we've later been so thankful that God knew better than we did. I mean, my goodness, I'm 27 years of that, right? Our whole life is all these prayers, and if we were to line it up with, are we glad that God answered it, or do we just want it to be the vending machine mentality? We would be in some very, very dangerous places in our life where we think we know better, but we lack in information, right? God is all-knowing. He's not unaware. He has all the information. He is perfectly wise, and he accomplishes what he desires perfectly. But for too many in churches, prayer is not a priority, but rather it becomes a last resort. Because it's easy to pray when we need things, right? It's easy to pray when I just find out You know, my marriage is really struggling. I I don't know what else to do. I've tried this counseling. I've tried to talk with other people. We've tried to do these different things. It's just not working. Maybe I'll pray about it now. Or things are not going really well at my job. You know what? I I tried all these different things. I tried to do different meetings because meetings always solve things, right? I always tried all these different things, and nothing is working. Maybe I'll go to the Lord in prayer. Just find out about a sickness either individually or within the family. This has happened. I'm going to try all these different things. Then we get to the end as a last resort. You know what? Maybe I should pray about it, or maybe I'll ask other people to pray about it. It should be our first priority, not our last resort, as if we've run out of options. So you know what, God? Now you're worth being pulled in to this circumstance. But too often this is how things tend to go. That as long as things are happening according to our plans and our desires, we see no real reason to pray. That's been a great three weeks. I haven't prayed at all. Is a mentality that we often find ourselves in. Thanks and gratitude is more important than we realize. You you can look in Romans chapter one, verse twenty-one specifically if you want to go there, but we see what is this deepening effect of sin is that they ended up uh, worshiping the creation rather than the creator. Though they knew God, they did not treat him as God, that they were not thankful for who God was and what he did. That at its very root cause, so much of our sin and our rebellion is a failure to be grateful to God for what he's done and who he is. I mean, remember all the way back, look in Genesis, look at Adam and Eve. What was their sin... Based on. They weren't thankful for what God had given to them. They needed that little bit more. It's the story of the richest man in the world who's asked, How much money do you need until you have enough? And his answer is just one more dollar. Man, don't we know some people like that? Haven't some of us at times been that person that just needs one more dollar or just one little bit of a raise and everything will be fine? We're to give thanks to the Father in all that we do. Which is why Paul says, as he does, to be careful for nothing, be anxious for nothing. Why do you need to be anxious? Is God not in control of all of these things? Rather than be anxious, for those of you that really need, I need to write these, I need to write two things down. Write down first, don't be anxious. Second, don't be anxious. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Just write out verse 6. That's the takeaway. Rather than be anxious, go to Him in prayer. Do so with gratitude, with thanks. Because where gratitude and thanks are lacking, the gospel is not only misunderstood, but it is also misapplied. Are you thankful for the gospel? We, We... Discussed Palm Sunday. We, we had songs referencing his triumphal entry into the world, that he chose to walk down that road, knowing where he was headed all along the way. Knowing that he was going to become sin, to take away the sins of the world, to be a lamb that would be slain. Are you thankful for what God has done? How could you not be grateful for God's love and mercy that's been shown to us in the gospel? How could we ever think, God, I, I keep being thankful, but... I think I'm done with that now. It's kind of tiring always being thankful for these things. How could we not be grateful for Christ dying the death that we should have died? Because we so often hear about a person who has saved another's life, and some of you may have a person like this in your life, or you may have been this person. A circumstance occurs and that person absolutely saved your life, rescued you from certain death, and you feel a burden to give your life to that person. You have this life debt to another person. This is something we see all the time. If a person has saved your life from whatever the situation may be, that person still has never taken away your sins and saved you for all of eternity. We're so quick to offer our lives to those who are going to save us from this temporal, circumstantial death and from any injury or all of these different cases that we may find ourselves in. But Christ is simply the only one who died the death we should have died, taking away all of our sins for all of eternity, never to truly experience death, but only life. And not just life like it's been right now where all of us are like, you know what, it's not that great. Wonderful glorious, eternal life with the Father, with the Son, and with all of his people from beginning all the way to the end. What a beautiful reality that we look to. And in closing, we can say something that I can often get caught doing, and Brittany yells at me for, We can often look back and we can sit there and say, you know what, I I see here in Philippians, obviously God wants our request to be made known to Him. Go to Him in prayer. Yeah, I know all of that. Um, Seek after one another in prayer. See how we can bear one another's burdens, right? The other command and call that we are to do. You know what, it's just me though. No one else needs to know my burdens, not because I'm ashamed of anything. I'm just not really worth the time. I just don't want anyone to have to worry about me. I don't want people to be concerned about me because it's just me. Who am I? I'm not really anybody significant. I don't need to make my request known to God because I'm really kind of a nobody. And He's God. he's got all these other things that are so much more important. I'm just a nobody. And the truth is, yes, that's the entire point. You are Nobody. He is God, and He desires for your request to be made known to Him. What a beautiful thing that the one who has made all things in the world, has done all that we read through Scripture, simply says, let your request be made known to me. I desire to hear them. I desire to listen and to know what you desire and what you need. And if He's providing for the birds and, and providing and allowing the lilies to grow, how much more will he do for the person who comes to him by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, letting those requests be made known to God, knowing that he will answer completely in line with his character and to bring him the most glory. There is nothing that we have that brings more hope and confidence than the reality that he is a God who answers our prayer and because of what Christ has done has shown infinite love and mercy to each and every person who has believed upon him. And how beautiful that is. So why be anxious? Look at what he has done. Look at what he has accomplished. Things are going to be okay. It's going to be all right. That's not very formal. It's not very academic. But God is in control and there is no greater person to have steering the wheel. We can be thankful for that. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the simple truth and just this one simple yet so very powerful verse, to be anxious, to be careful for nothing, but to make our request known to you, our prayer and supplication, that we would do so with thanks. God, I pray for a, a tremendous revival of thanks and gratitude to you around the world that we would be, that we would be a people that would be incredibly thankful and so filled with gratitude for the things that we have received. We, we get so thankful to others for, for so many things, and even those things that are minor. I pray that each and every day we live a life of thankfulness as we continue each and every week to reflect upon the finished work of your Son on the cross, of his death, his burial, and his resurrection that at no point were we ever deserving of this sacrifice, at no point were we so good and so so worthy of that death and so worthy of this newness of life, this new creation that you have made us become. As you continue to form us into the image of your Son, God, I pray that we would ever be thankful. Thankful for those blessings that you have given to us. Thankful for the suffering that may come our way as it continues to conform us and to teach us to be more and more like who Christ is. God, I pray that we would continue to be a people thankful, not just because of what you've given to us, but thankful that you are the only good, wise God, that you are gracious, you are loving, you are merciful, and that you are absolutely in control. Lord, I pray that we would remove any anxiety, any worry, and that we would simply go to you in prayer, knowing that these things will be perfectly answered according to your good pleasure. God, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. As Mrs. Pace plays, just offer a moment of just silent reflection on the simple idea of anxiety and and gratitude. What are things that I need to remove in my life that I am too anxious of?